It's time for Truth Unfiltered with Pastor Chad Harvey. God is love, right? First John 4, 8. God is love. Do you know there are some things that God hates? Do you know one thing that God says repeatedly that he hates? Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, God says, I hate pride and arrogance. I hate pride. And yet we're living in the last days, and we have elevated pride. That's Chad Harvey. And welcome to today's broadcast of Truth Unfiltered. We're glad you're here. Pastor Chad is the teaching pastor at Cross Assembly Church in Raleigh, leading you to a deeper understanding of the Bible by putting the scriptures in context, emphasizing how God's Word applies to our daily lives. We invite you to join us and allow the Holy Spirit to bring truth unfiltered to you. Now, here's Pastor Chad. When you ask me, is this organization a cult? Is this religious movement that says they're Christian, are they a cult? I ask one question. What do they do with the doctrine of Jesus? Because if they don't teach that Jesus Christ was the only virgin-born son of the Most High God who lived a sinless life, who died vicariously in your place, who was buried, came back again, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and is coming back again, fully God and fully man, you mess with that, you're not a church. And evidently, that's what happened here at Laodicea. Because remember what I told you, right down the road, there's a, a, a city named Colossae. 30 years before, Paul had written the book of Colossians to that church because they had all kinds of Jesus problems, all kinds of Christological problems. And Paul had to write that letter to set those problems straight. And uh, he, he closes that letter uh, in Colossians 4.16 this way. Now, when this epistle, when this letter, the book of Colossians, is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans implication the heresy that's in your church has infiltrated that church and it's got to be corrected as well and that's why jesus starts off this letter so beautifully verse 14 to the angel of the church of the laodiceans write these things says the amen y'all know hebrew you didn't realize it amen is a hebrew word it means yes true truthful the amen the faithful and true witness the beginning of the creation of god now stop Pastor, you just said Jesus is fully God. Yes. Then by nature, he has no beginning. Yes. Why does it call Jesus the beginning then? Beginning, the Greek word is arche. It can mean chronologically the beginning, or it can also mean positionally the the main one, the chief one. In fact, in Jesus' time, and we see this in the book of Acts, the leaders of the Jewish people were called the chief priests. Same word, arche. Doesn't mean they were the first priests. There are 1,400 years of priests before them. What they're saying is, no, those are the main ones, the dominant ones. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm not just some guy. I'm not just some figurehead. I'm not just some person that you take my name and say, the church of Jesus Christ. No, I am God, King of kings, Lord of lords, the preeminent one over all creation. That's who I am. And in fact, again, 30 years before, just down the road from the Laodiceans, Paul had to correct the Jesus problems there. And I love what he says, Colossians 1.15. Now, I'm going to read this. And while I'm reading this, just kind of let this soak in. This is powerful stuff. Jesus says he, or probably Paul says he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. 
For by him all things were created that are in heaven and are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the first form from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Now, I want you to see this in verse 15. He, Paul says, Jesus is the firstborn. You get, all right, well, Chad, you said he's God, but right there he says he's the firstborn. God can't be born. God has no beginning. That word firstborn, it is a title of respect. In the Old Testament, Israel is called God's firstborn nation, but they weren't the first nation. There were other nations, okay? Um, and I think it's Jeremiah. The tribe of Ephraim is called the firstborn, means the preeminent one. But they weren't the first tribe. They're, the tribe of Reuben was. So what it's saying is Jesus Christ, he is the man. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is Jesus Christ, God in flesh. Now, Paul also says something in 17, verse 17. It kind of amazes me. He says, in Jesus, not only was everything created, I'm with you on that. He also says something astounding. He says, in Jesus, all things consist, all things hold together. What is he talking about? Lambert Dolphin, a physicist from Stanford University, who's also a Christian, said this. The nucleus of every atom, so everything you see right now, you break it down to the smallest point, it's the atom. That the nucleus of every atom is held together by what physicists call, now this is what physicists call them, weak forces and strong forces. The nucleus of an atom contains positively charged and neutral particles. Logic tells us they should repel each other, yet there's some kind of, again, what physicians call, or, or, or uh, uh, physicists call a strong force that holds these atoms, these particles, together. Similarly, the electrons circling the nucleus should use up all of their energy and collapse into the nucleus, yet there is some type of invisible energy force that prevents this collapse from happening. And what Paul is saying is, you can call that force strong force, you can call it weak force, you can call it whatever you want, I call it Jesus. It's Jesus that holds everything in the universe together. Now, beloved... The last day Laodicean church will fall away from a correct understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And I started seeing this happening 30 years ago. 30 years ago when I was in college, there is when the debates started happening about was Jesus born of a virgin? And a lot of our denominations in America said, no, we don't believe Jesus is born of a virgin. Explain that. We're scientific. We're a little bit more urbane. A woman can't have a, a baby if she's not had relations with a man. And so they doubted the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about it. That was a, an attack on the deity of Jesus Christ. And a scholar pastor that I respect greatly was asked recently to review a book that's now talking about all the people leaving these mainline denominations here in America, Methodists and Episcopalian and Presbyterian USA and all this, they're all leaving over the whole LGBT issue. And I like what he says. He says, 30 years ago, your denomination doubted the inspiration of scripture and you stayed. 30 years ago, your denomination doubted the deity of Jesus Christ and the virgin birth of Jesus and you stayed. 
And now the LGBT issue has come up and now you're leaving. I'm glad you're leaving, but you should have left 30 years ago when they doubted the divinity of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting, the word Laodicea, the, the etymology, Laos means people, DK means rule or justice, justice. Basically, you put it together and it almost sounds like it means a, a church or a city that is ruled by the people. That's a bad way to run a church. Where we say church, what do y'all think marriage is? Y'all think it's between one man, one woman? Could it be two men, two women? Y'all, y'all decide, well, we decided this. Okay, well, since y'all decided that way, that's our new definition. Or like a denomination in Europe last week or two weeks ago voted. Y'all think cohabitation is okay? Let's vote on it. Yeah, we think it's okay. All right, then I guess it's okay. And Jesus says, y'all can take all the silly little votes you want. I'm Jesus. It's my church. I get to decide what's right or what's wrong. It's not the rule of the people. So the Laodicean church of the last day, they'll have Christological problems. Secondly, they will be complacent and lethargic. Verse 16 Jesus makes the strongest statement he makes of all the seven statements to churches. He says to the church at Laodicea, you make me vomit. A scholar studied the water supply at Laodicea and he said the water at Laodicea had what he called a quote, emetic effect. In other words, the water at Laodicea was so bad, people just start throwing up all the time. Jesus said, church, you're just like that. He says, remember those three cities? He said, I wish church y'all were like hot, like the hot springs of Heriopolis right down the road from you. A healing balm to a dying world. Or I wish you were cold, like the cold, crisp waters of Colossae that, that quenches the thirst of a thirsty world. But you're not hot, you're not cold, you're just lukewarm, you're complacent, and I want to vomit you out of my mouth. Or as Leonard Ravenhill said it, the Christian today is so subnormal that when he finally begins to act normal, everybody considers him abnormal. And now I, there's an illustration I want to use here, but I'll be honest, this is the most overused illustration when it comes to this passage, all right? I, uh, I looked at five sermons this past week, and they all use the same illustration I'm about to use, and I wanted to get creative and come up with something different, but I'm not that creative, so I'm just going to use the illustration, okay? Here it is. Y'all can go to the arena down here and watch grown men put balls through an 18-inch metal rim and go crazy. And everybody thinks that's perfectly fine. Or you soccer fans. Guys, I tried. I tried to watch soccer. I can't. I can't do it. Um, Wing passes to the center. Center back to the wing. Wing holds it. Back to the center. Back to the wing. Back to the center. Back for two hours. Okay, but and they have riots and they go crazy and whatever, but that's okay. You can watch soccer and get excited. You can watch basketball, football get excited. But if you happen to get a little bit happy about the one who walked out of the tomb and crushed the head of the serpent and saved your soul from a devil's hell and is coming back, suddenly you're a fanatic, doesn't make any sense to me. So Jesus says, church, you're not hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm. The Laodicean church of the last days will have a Christological problem. They will be complacent. And then number three, they will be proud and arrogant. Verse 60, or look at this, 62 AD, there was a major earthquake that destroyed Laodicea. 
Now, earthquakes were common back then, and what would happen if a city would be leveled by an earthquake, the Roman government would step in and say, hey, look, we'll give you money. We'll help you rebuild your city. When Laodicea was destroyed by that earthquake, the Roman government stepped in, and they said to the Roman government, we don't need your money. We're rich enough. We'll rebuild our city, and they rebuilt their city on their own, and they're very proud of that. And evidently, that pride had seeped into that church. Because Jesus says in verse 17, church, you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. And it's interesting what Jesus does. Jesus punches a hole in all three levels of their economy. Remember I told you, their economy was built on the banking industry. People in that church probably worked for the bank. And Jesus says to this church that's proud of their banking industry, verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. You're poor and you don't even realize it. He says to a church that was proud of their wool and textile industry, verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me white garments that you may be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness may not be, may, may not be revealed. He says to a church in a city proud of their eye salve industry, verse 18, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. In other words, y'all are not as good as you think you are. Church, listen to me. I think one of the the biggest signs that we are living in the last days is this pride thing that's welling up in our society and it's coming into the church. In fact, here's what Paul says. I want you to see this. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Last letter Paul ever wrote, he's in prison, he's going to die. And God is giving him an insight into what it's going to be in the last days. And Paul says to Timothy, if you want to know what it's going to be like in the final days, Here's what it's going to be like. I want you to do this sometime. Sometime this week, read 2 Timothy 3, 1 and following and compare the traits of the last days to where we're at now. It's pretty eerie. But he says this. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come for men will be lovers of themselves. Do you know what we call that? We call that self-esteem. Lovers of money. Boasters. Proud. Beloved, y'all are watching end times unfold before your very eyes, and you don't even realize it. You know, God, now, God is love, right? First John 4, 8, God is love. Do you know there are some things that God hates? Do you know one thing that God says repeatedly that he hates? Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, God says, I hate pride and arrogance. I hate pride. And yet we're living in the last days and we have elevated pride. Do y'all find it ironic that we have taken the one thing God says I hate, I hate pride. We have elevated it. We've attached Noah's covenant sign with God to that. We've named a whole month after that. We are shaking our fists in the face of God. It's all over our society. Um, I, uh, I visited somebody in a hospital the other day and I love this hospital, I love the people there. All of our people who go to that hospital talk about how great it is. I'm not bashing the hospital. My, my point is, this is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. I went to this hospital, and there's a giant banner out front, and it says, 
proud. We are awesome. Now, that doesn't sound strange to us because we have been so brainwashed on this virtue of pride. For the last several thousand years of human history, pride was not considered something to be boasting about, okay? We see this in our school system. Um, I heard a, an educator recently say, quote, the most important thing we can teach our children is self-esteem. No, it's not. It's reading, writing, and arithmetic. That's the most important thing you can teach our kids. But the self-esteem movement is so much of a part of our worldview that we don't even question it. We say, and we, again, it's filtered into the church. Yeah, but Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. You can't learn to love your neighbor until you've learned to love yourself. That's not what he meant. That's superimposing 21st century pop psychology back onto Jesus Christ. That's putting a beard on Oprah and calling it Jesus, okay? That's not biblical. In fact, the cult of self-esteem is based on an unbiblical perspective. The Bible has nothing positive to say about self-esteem, self-love, or any other variety of self-centeredness. The more you love yourself, the less likely you feel that you need a savior. I'm into Christ esteem. I'm into lifting up Jesus Christ and understanding that Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. I serve the God of the universe. He has accepted me in his son, Jesus Christ. That's all the esteem I need. And listen. John Roseman says this, research strongly suggests that people with a high regard for themselves have a correspondingly low regard for others, and high self-esteem is highly associated with antisocial behavior like bullying. Study by Roy Ballmeister of Case Western University said that some of the people who rank the highest in self-esteem in our society, so our society, they give these self-esteem tests, do you know who scores the highest? Prisoners, violent prisoners in our prison system. Isn't that something? And so why don't we stop trying to be so proud and arrogant and why don't we stop teaching our kids the world revolves around you and why don't we as followers of Jesus Christ get off the throne and put Jesus Christ back on the throne and say I am nothing but a crucified slave of Jesus Christ. So what do you do? If you're part of a lukewarm Laodicea in church, what do you do? Jesus says in verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. I'll tell you two things. Jesus is saying, hey, you, those of you who are part of the Laodicean church, you may have the name Christian, okay? You, you may go to a building with a steeple on it. It's basically a glorified um, social club. Jesus is saying to y'all might as well just join the Lions Club or the Rotary Club down the road because you, you don't belong to me. And what Jesus says to this church is, you gotta get right, you gotta get saved. And I know he's talking to unsaved people. Unsaved people comprom uh, comprise the Laodicean church two reasons. Number one, he says, I love you. Do you see that? But the word he uses is phileo. It's not the covenant word agape. It's not that deep of a word. It's a more kind of shallow word. I, I love you. I want you to belong to me. You don't belong to me, but I want you to belong to me. And the second thing is, he tells these people to repent. Repent. So you say to lost people, 
Y'all think you're saved. You think you're born again because your name is on some silly roll or you walked some silly aisle years ago when you're nine years old and you mumbled a little prayer and you think you're okay and Jesus says, you're not okay. You need to repent. And Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote on repentance. And he said, here's what repentance is. Repentance means that you realize you're a guilty, vile sinner in the presence of God and that you deserve the wrath and punishment of God and that you are hell bound. It means that you begin to realize that this thing called sin is in you and that you long to be rid of it and you turn your back on sin in every shape and form. You renounce the world, whatever the cost, the world in its mind and outlook as well as its practice and you deny yourself and take up your cross and you go after Christ, you're near and dearest and the whole world may call you a fool or say that you have religious mania you may have to suffer financially but it makes no difference that is repentance and I knew I know I think one of the best speakers that's out there is a former Methodist pastor who was a Methodist pastor that was lost and didn't know Jesus and God got a hold of him and he got born again and saved as a Methodist pastor I know a deacon gave me a lot of problems not of this church, another church, 80-something years old. He had served as a deacon all of his life, and at 80-something years of age, he realizes, I'm not born again. And he repented of his sins and gave his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I know of pastor's wives who have gotten saved as pastor's wives. Just because you have a title or just because you serve in some function doesn't mean you've repented of your sins and turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I can say this, and I'm going to take about a 30-second timeout, because I think there's some people right now. Your name's on the church roll. You go to church, but you've never had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now, and I'm going to ask you to repent of your sins and turn to Jesus and surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Would you bow with me right now? If that's you, if you've never repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus, I want you to, I want you to zone everybody else out, and now it's just you and Jesus. And I want you to say to Jesus right now, Jesus, I am a sinner. Lord, I deserve to be punished. Say this to him. But Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. I believe you were buried. And I believe God has raised you from the dead. And say this to him. Jesus, I turn away. I turn my back on all my sin and I turn to you. I turn my back on my sin and I turn to you. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Come and take control of my life. And take me to heaven when I die. Amen. I also think there's one more final word that Jesus has. And I think this might be a word for cross assembly because we keep coming back to this. Every week for the last several weeks, I keep asking you this. It's all about Jesus. And Jesus says something beautiful here in verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. We use this verse as an evangelistic verse. It's not an evangelistic verse. What Jesus is saying is, hey, church, I'm standing outside of my church. Y'all have kicked me out of my church. And I'm standing at the door knocking and I'd love if just one person would hear my voice and open the door and let me back in my church. And if I could get back into my church, you might see miracles. You might see God do some incredible things. You'd have the sense of fellowship. I'd like to get back into my church. My uh, pastor that I grew up under years ago told a story. I don't know if this happened to him, a friend of his, 
or if this is just one of those preacher stories that we preachers like to, to tell, but I was a young kid and it, it stuck with me. He said, there was a guy that was college roommates with another fella. And when they graduated from college, they kind of went their separate ways and they'd not seen each other for years. And then one day he gets an invitation from this guy getting married. I'd love for you to come to my wedding. He's so excited. He's a very busy man, got a lot going on, but he said, I want to make this trip. And so he makes the trip out to visit his friend and he gets caught up, I don't know, the traffic or airline delay, whatever it was. He missed the ceremony, but he was able to make it to the reception afterward. And he says, I walk into this reception hall and there's music, there's dancing, there's laughing, everybody's having a great time. And he said, as I'm taking it all in, he said, there's a beautiful lady sitting in the corner by herself. She's ignored, nobody's talking to her. She looks bored, kind of yawning. She's kind of sitting there. He said, my friend comes up. He said, man, I'm sorry, Mr. Wedding, this happened, but I'm here, blah, blah. And the friend said, no, I'm just glad you're able to make it to the reception. And then he said, hey, who's that beautiful lady sitting over there by herself? And the man said, oh, that's right. You missed the ceremony. He said, that's my wife. That's the lady I just married. Let me come and introduce you to her. And he said, that was the saddest thing in the world to see the guest of honor sitting in a corner forgotten. But I wonder if that's happening millions of times all over the world today where Jesus Christ wants to come into his church and the guest of honor, Jesus Christ, King of Kings and Lord of Lords is relegated to a corner and forgotten. He's there in name only, but he's been shut out of his own church. Forget about everything else. And invite Jesus back into his church. Invite him to once again be the guest of honor in this place. I wonder if Jesus is saying, y'all doing a good job now, but be careful. The day could come that you, like the church of Laodicea, shuts me out of my church. May that never happen at Cross Assembly. for today's Truth Unfiltered broadcast. We invite you to join us again next time for more great teaching from Pastor Chad Harvey, teaching pastor at Cross Assembly Church of Raleigh. Celebrating over 20 years as senior pastor of Cross Assembly, Chad Harvey brings the truth unfiltered of God's word to your daily life. Originally from Salisbury, North Carolina, his passion for reaching the lost, sending out spirit-filled agents to a global mission field, and equipping each member to lead their family in the amazing love and grace found only in Jesus has been the cornerstone of his time in leadership at Cross Assembly. Together with his family and a loving pastoral staff serving all throughout the week, they welcome you with open arms with any need, question, or request for spiritual guidance you face today. More than just a radio Bible teacher, Discover the true blessing of joining God's family right here in the Triangle at one of our two campuses with a third coming this fall. Join us any Sunday for our online worship service at crossassembly.org. That's crossassembly.org. You'll be glad you did. 
Dream Center started back in 2014. Since then, it's been amazing to see how we started in more communities. And even through the pandemic, we grew from serving seven communities and ultimately impacting 57 communities over a short time. But watching the impact, it was the local churches that were stepping up. It was people like you that were coming out. You're serving, you're volunteering, and just pouring into the community for the sake of God's kingdom. Looking forward, we want to encourage you to be involved. If you're not familiar with us, go look at our website, RaleighDreamCenter.org. You can see all the places where you can volunteer. You can help package the groceries in our warehouse. You can come serve out in the communities. You can play with kids and hang out. Or if you're in the recovery world and you, you know somebody, maybe you have a family member who's going through it and you want somebody to walk alongside them, keep the Dream Center in mind. Send them along to us. We'd love to, to walk that walk with people uh, because we love people and we believe that's where Christ called us to go. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, uh, we see the great response where Jesus was said, I, I, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. And just all of these practical ways that the believers are supposed to walk and operate and how it's truly serving Christ in those ways. Thank you for those that volunteer. Thank you for those that give to this ministry. And together we can continue having a long lasting legacy here in the Raleigh area. If you would like more information about Pastor Chad or Cross Assembly, visit crossassembly.org. Again, that's crossassembly.org. You're always welcome to visit us at any of our locations for Sunday morning services. You'll find locations and service times on our website. To support this ministry, text CROSS to 45777. That's CROSS to 45777. Join us again next time for more teaching with Pastor Chad Harvey, teaching pastor of Cross Assembly Church in Raleigh, and more of God's truth unfiltered.